My name is Josh Osborne. I am obviously not the teaching pastor here at the Upper Room. Uh, Chris has been very gracious and allowed me to share today. And uh, we're going to be continuing with the Under the Sun series in Ecclesiastes. Last time I was up here, uh, I was talking about fasting. I feel like I'm not setting myself up well. Um, <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about money. Yay! <laughs> and this is, I just want to address this up front. This is a, a touchy subject for, for people to hear maybe sometimes from the, from the pulpit. Um, it can be sensitive. Uh, and I, I understand that there might be scars from people being manipulated into giving money. So I just want to say at the outset... This will not devolve into some kind of fundraising campaign for the Upper Room Ministries. There's not going to be an offering plate coming around later. That's not the heart of this message. Uh, we're here to learn from ancient wisdom found in the Word of God and apply it to our lives. Uh, also, I feel like money is a little bit difficult for me to speak on because maybe it's just me, but I, I feel like there's a paradox with money. So on the one hand, I want to be uh, really shrewd with money, plan for the future, save, do the right thing. On the other hand, I want to do the right thing and, and be generous with money and give it away and not worry about it. So what's the right thing? Should I save for the future, invest? Should I be giving to the poor? Is it just better to be poor? What's the Bible's message on wealth? So we're going to be spending our time today just seeing what the Bible has to say. And we're going to be starting in Ecclesiastes 5. For you note-takers out there, uh, first of all, good for you. Um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5 uh, at the beginning, and then we're going to be moving on to Luke 12. As much as I like uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I always have since I was a kid, and honestly, I don't really know what that says about me, uh, <laughs> but as much as I like the wisdom that's found in Ecclesiastes, um, I know that it's an incomplete picture. I'm glad Ecclesiastes is not the last book in the Bible. Uh, so we are going to uh, learn what Jesus has to say from a kingdom perspective about money. Um, but first, Ecclesiastes. It's 3,000 years old and it's holding up pretty well. And if you've been following up till now, um, you're probably noticing a depressing theme over and over that uh, things are meaningless. And if you've looked at the heading of um, this text that we're going to be reviewing in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 8, you'll see that Solomon is going to say the same thing about wealth. Um, and if you're skeptical about that, that wealth is meaningless, I would say me too. Um, I heard one comedian say that they say money can't buy happiness, but I've never seen anyone on a jet ski not smiling. <laughs> but Solomon is really talking about living a good life. And he's giving us kind of a peek behind the curtain. And I know we've gone over this before, uh, the wealth of Solomon, but I think it bears repeating one more time because we're going to be talking about what he has to say about wealth. <clears throat> so every year, Solomon brought in more than 660 talents of gold, which might sound like a lot, but honestly, we don't know what a talent is. So for reference, a talent is 75 pounds. So think about how much 75 pounds of gold is. Think about how many bars of gold that would be. Then multiply that by 660 talents. Uh, that's 25 tons of gold per year. At the current market value of gold at $1,500 per troy ounce, that comes in at $1.1 billion. 
When you adjust this for inflation, this makes Solomon approximately three times wealthier than Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon and the wealthiest man in the world today. Solomon built fleets of ships, planted forests of cedar trees, lakes with which to water those forests. He had so much wealth that 1 Kings 10.21 takes the time to mention that Solomon only drank from gold cups. So silver was beneath him, it says. Out of curiosity, I googled how much is a pure silver cup. A pure silver chalice today is going to run you conservatively about $1,000. But that was beneath Solomon. And this is on another level. So those are his credentials. And let's hear what he has to say to us, starting in verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised by such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. It's interesting, Solomon was the king, so he would know. And it turns out that corporate greed and political corruption were just as common back then as they are today. Solomon goes on, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So there's a wide range of backgrounds represented in this room, a wide range of incomes. No matter what your income, I would venture to guess that you feel like it could be a little bit more. But the really interesting thing is we all deep down know that money isn't going to make us happy. Everyone knows that we're chasing a moving target. Uh, for a more recent reference, I'm going to quote John D. Rockefeller. This is someone else who is very familiar with wealth. The Rockefeller name is synonymous with wealth. This guy was in the oil business uh, in 1937, which is apparently a, a good time to be in the oil business. I don't know if there's ever a bad time to be in the oil business. Um, but in 1937, his personal finances accounted for 1.5% of the US GDP. That's the total amount of money that our country spends each year, and his personal accounts were 1.5% of that. By this metric, he was and still is and very likely always will be the richest man who ever lived in America. So he was famously asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And after a pause, he said, just a little bit more. And we all know that that's true. And yet, there's a part of us that still wants a little more. It's a part of our human condition. I would argue this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They had everything they could ever want, but they didn't just want to be with God, they wanted to be like God. And we still deal with that as part of our human condition. And today, companies take advantage of that. They take advantage of the human desire for more and profit off of it. They've turned marketing into a science. Billions are spent by companies on advertising, and you shouldn't need convinced of this. You see the evidence of it every day, four to 10,000 ads a day. And we're starting to give in to that advertisement. It just seems like no matter how much we have, we could always use just a little bit more. Here's a few shocking stats on stuff in America. The average size of the American home has doubled over the past 50 years. The fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades is off-site storage. Currently, one in 10 Americans rent off-site storage. So even though the square footage has doubled, we still can't fit all our stuff. The US has 50,000 storage facilities. That's five times the number of Starbucks. There's 7.3 square feet of storage for every American. 
we could literally shelter our entire population in our storage spaces. 25% of people with two car garages don't have room to park their cars inside of them, and 32% have room for only one vehicle. Uh, don't ask me where our vehicles are currently parked. <laughs> uh, the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, sounds about right, uh, plays with just 12 of them. The average American woman owns 30 outfits, one for each day of the month. In 1930, that number was nine. Despite this, a closet-made study found that women find 21% of their clothes to be unwearable, 33% to be too tight, 24% are too loose, and 12% of the wardrobe to have never been worn. That leaves 10% of the wardrobe to be worn even semi-regularly. And I know it kind of comes down hard on women, but this morning, I actually heard myself tell my wife, I feel like I don't have anything to wear. And then I was like, closet made. <laughs> um, we have more television sets than people in our homes. We have more shopping malls than high schools. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. That's stuff we don't need. Another study found that on average, each American spends $700 a month on things we don't need. Tyler Durden actually has a lot to say about this topic. If you don't recognize that name, he is a character in a book called Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk, uh, made more famous by Brad Pitt's portrayal of that character in the movie Fight Club. Um, despite the title, this isn't a book or even a movie about fighting, and I'm not asking anyone to join a fight club, and I'm not in a fight club. If I was in a fight club, I wouldn't be talking about it. Um, <clears throat> fight club is more about getting off of the proverbial hamster wheel and stepping away from the culture of consumerism that holds us all captive. So here are a few quotes that I think summarize what we're talking about really perfectly from Tyler Durden. We're consumers. We are byproducts of a lifestyle obsession. Murder, crime, poverty, these things don't concern me. What concerns me are celebrity magazines, television with 500 channels, some guy's name on my underwear. <laughs> and again, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. I had to clean that one up a little bit. <laughs> or finally, what I would say is his most famous line, the things you own end up owning you. <clears throat> you are being sold something all of the time, and as technology has progressed, so have the tactics used by marketing companies to reach into our mind and find the things that we're most likely to buy. Online shopping makes it far too easy to satisfy our every impulse a problem that's just exacerbated by the iPhone. We now have 24-7 access to nearly any item we could possibly want in just a few clicks. And I use these things, things like Buy Now on Amazon, Apple Pay, they're making it easier and easier to give into those impulses. And this is gonna circle right back to Ecclesiastes. Solomon called this 3,000 years ago. Like, have you ever walked into a mall and just been a little overwhelmed by how much stuff is in there? Is someone gonna buy all this stuff? It really is overwhelming how much stuff there is. Solomon says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Saying, buy all you want, it won't make you happy. Verse 12, and I really like this part. Um, I'm going to read this slow. I think we can all imagine uh, how we feel after a hard day of work. And I think at this point in his life, this is the end of Solomon's life, he's missing this. He says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So some translations indicate that 
the reason that, that the rich can't sleep is because they ate too much. So like they have some indigestion or something that makes it difficult to sleep. But other translations would indicate, and I, I think this is a little more in line with what Solomon is talking about here, is don't be anxious. Rich people are anxious about all the stuff that they have. And he builds on this more clearly moving into verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. That last part reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge, um, uh, Charles Dickens' uh, famous character in Christmas Carol. This is, uh, the line from him is, darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And Jesus echoes this in his teaching nearly a thousand years later. So let's go over to the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about this. There's uh, kind of a, a two-part um, text here, starting again, uh, Luke 12, and we're going to go through verses 13 to 21. So there's this, this interesting moment. Jesus is teaching, and someone yells out to him uh, to take care of something for him. And then Jesus responds. Um, his, his response is really interesting. And then, of course, he goes into a parable, uh, the greatest teacher who ever lived. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Which, by the way, was a rhetorical question. So um, the people who, who are listening to this message understand that um, according to the law that they live by, they should be helping the poor. This is a time that's before Social Security. Um, pe the people who are poor, the impoverished people, they required the people who had much to help them. So this man has an excess, and he says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It sounds very similar to what we're reading in Ecclesiastes up to this point. Why are you working so hard for something that is so very temporary? And there's no judgment here. I'm doing the same thing. And when I examine why I'm doing this, it's out of fear. It's fear that I won't have enough. I'm the sole income provider for my home. What if I don't have my job? What if? What if? What if? And I start to live on these trains of thought. Um, there's a a uh, silly story that kind of summarizes this well, I think. Um, when my wife and I, Megan, were first married, it was the first time either of us had lived on our own, and I was terrified that I would wake up someday and not have enough money. <clears throat> and so I was very strict with the budget, like extremely. 
Um, not because it necessarily had to be, just because I was afraid. And um, the little apartment that we were living in, it was, it was lit almost entirely by lamps. Well, eventually these light bulbs start burning out. And I have not budgeted for light bulbs. So we are not buying light bulbs. So it got to the point where it was like, hey, company's coming. Make sure we bring the light bulb out. So we're like taking this light bulb out to the living room. And then at night, we take it back to our night, night table. Uh, eventually, I did sign off on a purchase of light bulbs. But I wasn't, that was not a wise thing to do. That was, uh, that was me living out of fear. Um, and I think, you know, there's wisdom in having a budget and living within your means. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in Dave Ramsey. And if you have questions about this, you're in financial trouble, he has a seven-step program. And if you ask me about uh, money, I would just kind of point you to him. Um, there's also people in your community. I know there's people in this church right now who have um, just spoken to my life wisdom uh, with this stuff. Um, there's a great Shine podcast Michael Keffer has. I would, I would direct you to that if you, if you want to know more about that. But I know that I can't operate my finances out of fear. I can't live and make my decisions based on fear and trying to control everything that's going to happen. Something that Solomon and Jesus are both telling me that I really have no control over. And Jesus goes next into the kingdom mentality. So let's go back to the text, Luke 12, and we're going to be reading verses 20 through, 22 through 34. And like I said, Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. Um, I think sometimes we hear these messages and take them for granted. We've heard them over and over and over again. I really was trying to think of like, how I could comment on this next part, and there's really nothing I can say that's better than this. But as I'm reading this, I'm going to go through it very slowly, and I would just ask you to listen with fresh ears. Maybe that you close your eyes, or if you think that's weird, don't worry about it. Um, but just imagine, if you could, that Jesus is sitting on a hill and you're sitting with him in a meadow with grass and there's flowers and birds and Jesus is just teaching. And this is the first time you've heard this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
that your heart will be also. I think that's the kingdom of heaven perspective that Solomon's missing in Ecclesiastes. He knew that worry and collecting things was meaningless, but Jesus is able to show us a kingdom mentality. Wealth for the purpose of giving it away and to enrich the lives of the people around us. And I really could just end here, but I don't want to leave Solomon too soon in this series on Ecclesiastes. So let's finish up the passage and then, and then we'll close. All through Ecclesiastes, Solomon has these little like positive like upticks, um, and, and this is one of them. And he's just talking about how to enjoy life under the sun. Starting in verse 18. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So um, one of the last things I want to leave you with is a, is a comic strip. Um, it's a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, and I'm hoping we have it. Yes. Okay, if all you know of Calvin is an inappropriate bumper sticker, I'm very sorry. Um, uh, Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, was a genius. I don't really know that the medium deserved him. Uh, he was on another level, so relatable, profound, and funny. Um, as I was reading through this passage, I was reminded of this comic strip. And I'm hoping it kind of uh, helps you remember this. So if you don't know, Calvin is a little boy. He's a little bit unruly, difficult. Um, and uh, he has this stuffed tiger, Hobbes, and Hobbes comes to life, uh, in, at least in Calvin's eyes. And Hobbes is very philosophical, he's much more mature, and so they have interesting conversations. But in this comic, um, Calvin and Hobbes are walking through a presumably sunny field, and Calvin says, if you could wish for anything, what would it be? And Hobbes says, to be in a big sunny field. <clears throat> And Calvin, incensed, says, a stupid field. You've got that now. Think big. Riches, power. Pretend you could have anything. And the last frame is Hobbes sleeping very contentedly uh, in this sunny field. And Calvin says, actually, it's hard to argue with someone who looks so happy. And I think most of us, if we're honest, I, I know that if I'm honest, I'm Calvin in this comic. And what Solomon is saying here is just be Hobbes. Be content with what you have. This is a gift in and of itself uh, to be able to enjoy what's around you. He says even enjoying the gift is a gift, which I love. Um, go back up here. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. And Jesus adds to that and says, Give away all you can, enrich the lives of the people around you. This is the good news of the kingdom of heaven, that you don't need to worry. And that's the easy yoke that Jesus is talking about. Um, and I'd also like to say, just, just before I close, I think one of the reasons we find Ecclesiastes so depressing is that it shows us again and again that we're not in control. And all this striving is just a feeble, worthless effort to control our future. It's something that we can't control. And if you've ever gotten that midnight phone call uh, or had that unexpected event, 
then you know. And you'd give all the money in the world away so that you could undo that one moment and undo what's happened. And Solomon is just pointing this out. And then Jesus came to show us what it looks like to put our trust in something other than money. And teach us not to worry, but to trust in the Father. And if you're struggling with this, then you're not alone. I would encourage you to be honest with someone you can trust in your community this week. Um, but if you'd like prayer for this, or really absolutely anything, I'd, I'd just like to invite the ministry team to come forward. You can get prayer from these amazing people up here. <clears throat> and let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the good gifts you give us. And I just ask um, that as we go through the week that we would be able to enjoy the good gifts you give us. Thank you that you're a, a father who loves us. And I pray that we would um, just be encouraged to share those gifts with the people around us, bless the people around us. In our spheres of influence, I pray, Father, that we would live out the kingdom of heaven and show people what that looks like. I just pray that you would bless these people as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Pray that you just enjoy this good day, this beautiful sunny day.